Good morning, church. Great to see you. This sure beats a snowdrift, huh? This is much nicer. You know, we met last week. It's lonely, but for those of you who are here, you hearty souls, you get a merit badge <laughs> on your way to, to Eagle Scout. Way to go. Thank you for, uh, for being here. We're going to continue the series we began this last week uh, entitled, We Give. And today's reference is a very exciting passage from the book of Deuteronomy. This is Moses' final sermon to the nation of Israel before he departs and uh, turns over leadership to Joshua. And he's reminding the folks of the importance of their stewardship, their life of stewardship, and the purpose that God has for them in that regard. So I'm going to read for us verses uh, 11 through 18 of Deuteronomy 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. And uh, may I invite you to stand as you're able to uh, hear God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. Again, Moses preaching along saying, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you'll forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous steaks and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18, But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant. Hear the word covenant. Which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. And may God inspire us through this very important word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, here's something I want you to think about. I, I believe this to be a fact. Jesus is the greatest financial counselor who ever walked the face of the earth. You believe that? I certainly do. And how about this one? The Bible is the greatest financial manual ever printed. Indeed, the words of God give us great insight to the purpose that God has given us as stewards of the world. We have time, we have talent, we have treasure. We are stewards of the earth. We are stewards of all the natural resources. We are stewards of this world that God has given us. And we have purpose as stewards in this world. Now, this is an amazing, this is an amazing context of Scripture when Moses is reminding the people of the importance of keeping God at the center, keeping Him at the focus, and to remember why He has blessed them the way He has. And part of, that, part of that blessing, central to that blessing, is that we are blessed then to be a blessing to the nations around us. He said, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you power to make wealth, that He may confirm His covenant which He swore to your fathers as is true as this day. Let me remind you what being blessed is all about. Being prosperous or blessed of God uh, is contained in this passage. Verses 12 and 13 use the phrase, when you eat and are satisfied. Now, get some perspective. Get perspective on your life in the world in which we live. It means having enough to fill you up, having a good house, having a, a reliable transportation, 
multiplication of your investments, in this case herds and flocks, in our case other assets, money. If you have a home, think modest now, if you have a home that is cool in the, in the summer and warm in the winter, you have reliable transportation, again, think modest, and you make a livable wage, modest, you are in the top 15% of the world's population in terms of income. Think about that. Now, kick it up a few notches, a few grades. You have a solid house, a nicer house. You have two cars, two salaries, multiple changes of clothes, regular promotions. If that's true of you, then you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. If you, if you have a solid house, two cars, two salaries, multiple changes of clothes, then you are in the upper crust of the world's wealthy. Now, when we talk about being wealthy in our context, our culture, we're talking about the very wealthy. In the world scheme, though, if you're a multimillionaire in assets, then you are part of the mega wealthy, the uber wealthy. God calls you wealthy. God calls you prosperous if you eat and are satisfied, have a solid home, have a consistent, even growing income. In other words, virtually everyone within the sound of my voice is wealthy from a biblical point of view. You're wealthy. Now, you may be one of the whining wealthy, <laughs> but you're wealthy nonetheless. Very few people in our country pray, give us this day our daily bread, because the vast majority of us not only have today's bread, we have next month's bread. And so we don't find ourselves praying that prayer. The reason God gives homes to live in and food to eat and a decent income is stated in verse 18. There's purpose behind this, that he might fulfill his covenant. You, you see that phrase in verse 18? I want you to capture it if you can. In order that he might fulfill his covenant. Now, what covenant is he talking about? Many, many years ago, God made an agreement, a contract, a covenant with a fellow named Abraham. He's the, kind of the father of the faith. And here's Abraham, and God comes to Abraham and says, Look, I'm going to do something for you. And if you will follow my laws and my decrees and my ways, then I'm going to bless you. He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is, quite a, this is quite a promise, isn't it? Quite an arrangement, an agreement. God says to Abraham, if you'll follow me and my will, my ways, then I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a nation of you. I'm going to make your name great. Whatever blesses you will be blessed. Whatever curses you will be cursed. All the nations of the earth. Now, that's everybody. That's us. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, notice God not only says he's going to bring blessings to Abraham, but he's going to bring blessings through Abraham. So covenant always blesses the one in covenant so that he might be a blessing to others. God is saying in Deuteronomy 8 that he's empowering his people, enabling them, giving them the ability to get wealth for the support of his covenant. Now, what kind of support might come through people like you and me. The support that God has in mind, this blessing to the nations, is to, is to see the, the influence of God, the presence of God, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, to see God's influence expand around the world. 
So God wants to use his people, you and me, to be a, a source, a reservoir of blessing, and then a source through which his blessing flows to the world, to the, to the expansion of his kingdom. Let me, let me just begin with this first thought about the kingdom. And this is, this is the principle of the kingdom. If you're taking notes, this is the first word you're looking for, principle. The principle of the kingdom is actually, of the covenant, is kingdom expansion. The influence of God around the world. Um, I love the statement from the late great Pastor Evie Hill of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in L.A. He said, if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. You, you find the, the, the important principle there. Abraham's covenant with God included not only being blessed, but being a blessing to others. Some people you meet along the way, you ask them how they're doing, and they have kind of a standard answer. They say, well, I'm blessed, which is a wonderful response, isn't it? How are you doing today? I'm blessed. Well, of course, if, if you're healthy and well and you have a roof over your head and food in your stomach and life is, life is good, then you certainly are blessed. It's a great response. But it's not a complete response in, in, the, in light of this covenant that God made with Abraham. If you're a person who responds by the question, how are you doing? You say, I'm blessed. You should also add, I'm blessed. And let me tell you how God is using me to be a blessing to others. I'm blessed, and I'm also a resource as blessing to other people. God's covenant to Abraham, which we now partake in by faith, is a covenant of blessing to us that we might be the blessing of God to the rest of the world. Everyone in this room can quote a, a Bible verse. You may push back and say, I don't know one verse of the Scripture in the Bible. Yes, you do. You have one memorized for sure. It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Everyone in the room knows it. Let me, I'll give you the first half. You, just, you tell me what the back half is. It is more blessed to give. Everybody knows that. It's more blessed to give than receive. And a lot of people quote that, but they don't really understand what it means. Let me explain to you what it means. To be able to say it's more blessed to give than receive means that I have first been the recipient of a blessing in order to be a blessing to someone else. In order for me to have the highest blessing of giving, I must first also receive the blessing of receiving. Are you following this? So when I say it's more blessed to give than receive, that just means I'm a blessed person. I've, I've received the provision of God, and now I'm in a position to bless others as well. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 10 and 11. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now follow it. You will be made rich in every way, don't have to just hear money there. You'll be rich in every way, watch, so that, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in, in thanksgiving to God. So here's the promise of God in the New Testament that simply says, if you're faithful in your sowing, in your covenant relationship with God, commitment to the covenant, then God will bless you, increase your ability to sow, so that when the opportunity to be a blessing to someone else's life, you have the resource available to be that kind of blessing. And so here's that wonderful promise. So you cannot have the blessing of the covenant, follow it now, without first making a commitment to the covenant. As I plug into God's best plan and design for my life and follow his will and ways, that establishes me in covenantal relationship with God, and therefore I can become a recipient of God's blessing in order that I can be a blessing to others. Deuteronomy 29 verse 9 says, So keep the words of the covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. 
You see, God is blessing. Uh, God and his blessing is tied to this covenant. As, 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 as we connect ourselves in covenant relationship with God, that postures us then for God's best blessing to us. Here's my concern. My concern is that we think too small. If all you're thinking about is, is your house and your car and your clothes and your job, then you're missing the point of the covenant. If it's all about you, then you're missing the point of God's expression of his kingdom in, in the world. So I have to think bigger. I have to think larger. I have to think, I have to think on a larger scale. Uh, because if, if I don't think beyond myself as a person traveling through this world, then God, God will put limitations on my life. So if I don't see beyond myself, God will naturally constrict and restrict the blessing that flows to me. Remember, if God can get it through me, he'll give it to me. But if he realizes he can't trust me to bless others, then there will be limitations. That's very sobering, isn't it? You say, well, come on, Pastor. I know some people who have a, have a whole lot, and they don't give anything to anyone. They serve themselves, and God doesn't place any limitations on them. Well, let me remind you, you can accumulate a whole lot without God, but you can't enjoy it without God. You say, well, I, I think I probably could. <laughs> but listen, evil men from time to time do prosper, of course, but they do it with a hole in their soul. Who wants to live without any divine purpose? Who wants to go through life without a sense that God Almighty has placed his hand on me to do a particular thing and to be a particular person? Who wants to go through life with no, no view toward the eternal perspective that God alone gives a person? Who wants to go through life like that? Listen, that's, that's dismal. That's dire. My hope is that when you think big, you have a vision for the program of the kingdom of God, and then you pray, God, what do you want to do to me, and what do you want to do through me? That's the better perspective. So the principle of the kingdom of, uh, of covenant, the principle of the covenant is kingdom expansion through the blessing of God's people. Now here's the second thing I want to mention about the covenant, and that is the power of the covenant. Now, I have a good news to report here. The power of the covenant is God himself. If it was up to you and me, then this would, this would falter. But this is about God. And this interesting phrase in verse 18 from our text, Moses says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability or the power to get wealth. Now, lots of folks have kind of got on that verse and got on that bandwagon a bit and perhaps uh, strained it somewhat. But God was concerned that people would forget that their source and the one who gave them power to prosper was God himself. In Haggai chapter 2, verses 7 and 9, it talks about shaking the earth in order to give his people riches. In James 5, 1 to 3, it says God gathers the wealth of the wicked for the last days and, and then gives them misery. How does God give you power to get wealth? It's a good question, isn't it? How does God give you power to get wealth? That's the promise of this covenantal blessing. So how does God do it? Uh, does that mean God's just going to drop the, the numbers to the $100 million Powerball in your lap? Oh, that's giving me the ability. That's not the way it works. If you think God's just going to cause a big ship to arrive at your, at your harbor someday and, you're, and tomorrow you're going to be financially independent, you'll be waiting a long time for that. That's not how God gives you the ability to get wealth. Let me tell you how he does it. Two ways he does it is, number one, through his wisdom, God's wisdom. How do you get the wisdom of God? You get it through his word. 
At 9 o'clock on Sundays right now, we're doing Financial Peace University. This is a wonderful way to understand biblical principles of managing money. It's, it's great. It's the wisdom of God. And that's how God gives us the ability to get wealth. And so through his word, you get wisdom by asking God in prayer. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God will give generously to the person who asks for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. The wisdom of God comes through wise counsel. Wise counsel. You talk to people who seem to understand these things. And, you, and there are professionals who do this. And you talk to folks who understand. And you learn from them. This is how God gives us the ability to get wealth. I had a young man come to me not too long ago, and he said, Pastor, I'm thinking about downsizing my house. We're, we're just kind of, our budget's on the margins, and we just, there's too much pressure to make this house payment. I said, well, tell me more about your budget, and we talked a little bit about it, and I, re, I found out that he not only has a house payment, but he has two car payments. He's got two really nice cars in the garage, and he's got payments on those too. And I said, well, how, how, much, how much money would relieve the pressure you're feeling? He said, well, this much a month. I said, well, what are your car payments? And one of the car payments was that exact amount. And I said, sell your car. He said, well, I just got the car. I said, so what? Sell the car. I said, keep the nice car for your wife and small children so they have a nice vehicle to get to and fro. And I said, you got a 10-minute drive to church. Just buy an old beater. I said, get to go to church. I meant go to work. <laughs> go to church, too, there. <laughs> that was Freudian for sure. So... <laughs> when in doubt, go to church. That's, that's the whole idea. <laughs> and so what he did is he went out, went to his car dealer, traded in his new car, and, and got a used car off the same lot and completely eliminated his car payment. Perfect. So now he drives a little beater. Listen, it's possible to actually get a car that would take you from point A to point B that you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars for and so there it was. And he, he came to me later and said, that was it. That freed up those hundreds of dollars each month that now gives us, you know, the opportunity to save a little bit, give a little bit more, and that sort of thing. And perfect. He was, he was, he was wise, wasn't he? Because he submitted to wise counsel. And there, there's also other things you do. It's called faithful living and disciplined living. There's a phrase that is not popular in our culture right now. I'll bring it up to make you feel awkward. It's the, it's the phrase. It's what preachers do. It's the phrase delayed gratification. Most folks in modern American culture are not good at this one. That's why we have such consumer debt, credit card debt that's just piled up on top of each other, and it's hard for us to get out from underneath this suffocating weight and, and be everything God wants us to be as blessings to others. And this, this, this tendency not to be able to wait, not to be patient, but delayed gratification is a wonderful virtue. I joke with my wife, Beth, that there's still a lot of things on my list I want to acquire, but I'm going to run out of years before I run out of lists. Because we, for our entire married life now, we, we just don't buy things that aren't in the budget. And if there are things we want to acquire, things we want to do with our money, we wait until we can afford it. We don't compromise our giving. We don't compromise our saving. We don't compromise our investing. We don't compromise those things that are critical and central to the wisdom of God for, for, for a healthy steward. And so we wait. I've confessed to you that, that there, there's a certain kind of car that I want to have before, I'm, before I die. You know, it's on my bucket list. Well, I don't have that car now. I have, you know, I'm driving a car with 150,000 miles on it. So I have to wait because I can't afford it yet. 
But that's delayed gratification. And it's virtuous. You know, I, I tell older folks like myself that, uh, that your children, your young adult children, listen, all you middle-aged folks, your young adult children have a God-given right to their own poverty. All the middle-aged people are going, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> What do you think about that? <clears throat> so these are the things that God does to impart his wisdom to us so that we will have the ability to get wealth. Here's a second thing that, that is empowering when it comes to getting wealth, and that is hard work and productivity. Hard work and productivity. Now let me just stomp around here for a minute. You know, maybe move your toes. That's why the Bible does not tolerate laziness. Adam and Eve started with a job. In the Garden of Eden. The book of Proverbs is full of indictments against the lazy person. Proverbs 10.4, poor is he who works with a negligent hand. Or that, that is a half effort. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. But the soul of the diligent is made fat. Proverbs 14.23, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. You know, you, you ever heard, been around someone who's got all these great ideas and great plans, and they're all constantly talking about it, and you just want to say, do it, man, do it. Stop talking about it and go for it. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Yeah. The New Testament says it like this. The Bible says that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. Now, you, in our politically correct world now, so how, what an insensitive thing to say. Really? Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. There are certain things that lead to prosperity and to wealth. And they, incl they include the wisdom of God, disciplined living, and hard work and productivity. You don't violate those rules. You don't do it. It, it just doesn't happen. Now, there are folks in our culture who need help, and they need a hand up, and they, they need a bridge to get from one season of life to the next. And, that, and that, that's a good and noble thing and a godly thing to, to lend support to folks. Listen, able-minded and able-bodied people should be working. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. The, you know, I just a year or two out of college, the, there, there aren't jobs available. Not the ones you want, perhaps, but there are jobs available. Let's just assume there's no jobs anywhere. There's no jobs. You have unemployment at some level, and there are no jobs. There are no jobs. They're not even available. You couldn't get one if you wanted one. Couldn't, you couldn't get one if you were desperate for one. They're, just, they're not there. Let's assume that. Go do something anyway. Go do something. Go out and clean the garage. Go to your neighbor and clean the yard. Pretty soon you'll have a detailed uh, business, and people will call you because they notice the work you do. Hard work and productivity is what leads to prosperity. There are no shortcuts. That's the way it works. So you've got to get out there, and you've got to start doing something. Well, the, job that I, the only jobs available to me right now won't pay the bills. Then get two jobs. Then get a third job. Listen, I'm not sympathetic. I'm not sympathetic to you. I've got a story. I can tell you my story. I can tell you what my wife and I lived on the first 
five to ten years of our married lives. I can tell you our stories. I'm not sympathetic to you. You're not pitiful. I was pitiful, but you're not as pitiful as I was. <laughs> Just get busy and do something. See, God designed you for purpose. He's got his hand on you. You're not here to sit around. You're here to make a difference. You're here to engage something. You have, a, you have purpose. You have destiny. God has an eternal idea for you in mind. So stop looking to someone else to take care of you and get busy. You're able-bodied and able-minded. Come on. That's what you do. All right. Well, let me just remind you that the, the wealth of the world is staggering. Please send your complaint letters to Pastor Glenn Greiner. He's, <laughs> he's, he's so careful. He'll, he'll read your letter and feel empathy, maybe write you back and, you know, console you. If you write me, it won't, it won't help. So <laughs> do what you can with that. See, the, the wealth of the world is staggering. God in his genius designed the world because all true wealth comes out of natural resource. The earth, the earth you, we barely scratched the surface of the wealth that the earth actually can provide to humanity. In the next 20 years, it's estimated that there will be 1,000 trillion new dollars that are infused into the global economy. The next 20 years, 1,000 trillion. These aren't old dollars that keep circulating around, and there's only a finite number of them, but there's 1,000 million, 1,000 trillion new dollars that are going to be released in the earth in the next 20 years. Now, if you're a young person, could I just say get the wisdom of God and embrace a lifestyle of hard work and productivity and get yourself a piece of the rock because... There's enormous wealth available on the earth. There's plenty to go around. And so I encourage you to grab for it in the wisdom of God. Now listen, here's what I believe. When God finds a man or a woman or a church who he can trust to be a blessing to the people around them, watch out. Watch out what God might do. Almost everyone in Israel left Egypt when Moses Left, uh, led them out of Egyptian bondage, led them into the Sinai wilderness. Almost every Israelite left Egypt a millionaire. And the reason for that is when, when they were a slave one minute and wealthy the next, they simply said as they were leaving Egypt, lend us your gold and silver. And Egypt was so devastated by the death of the firstborn, that last plague that hit Egypt, they said, just take it and leave. We want you gone, just leave. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 9, it suggests that Pharaoh ordered his army into the Red Sea, not, not in order to attack the Israelites, but to recover this stuff, to, to receive the spoils that had been taken out of Egypt. Now listen, I'm not promising you any more than you already have in terms of wealth. I'm not. However, you will maximize your potential for success if God learns that he can trust you. If he can get it through you, he will give it to you. And so hear that today. God is only willing to bless those who are willing to be a blessing for his covenant, for his kingdom. Let me get on another soapbox just for a minute. One, one of the great sins of modern America is playing the lottery. It flies in the face of everything holy. The government breeds corruption in its citizenry by a state-sanctioned lottery. It is money predominantly accumulated on the backs of the poor. It is ignoring God as source and principles of hard work and diligent application in favor of relying on luck and chance for wealth. 
it is a great sin and no Christian should participate or give approval to those who do. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 11 says, I hate your wheels of fortune, your tables for gambling. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 20 says, a person with an evil eye hastens to get rich. Now let me ask you, is there anything wrong with being rich? The answer is nothing whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing wrong with that. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything wrong with trying to get rich quick? The answer is everything. Everything is wrong with that. Think about it in terms of your faith, your relationship with God. How about this? The lottery is for people who are bad at math. You have a better chance of hitting oil in your backyard here in Indiana. Job 31, 24 says that to love money so much that you pursue it like that is to deny God. Think about this, saints. It is a fundamental denial that God exists. Pursuing overnight riches is the activity of a person who doesn't believe God exists. Atheistic activity. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can trust God with my, with my life, with my source, with my money. So if I could just hit something big, then all my problems would be over. Let me just remind you another issue that relates to the covenant, and that is there's a place of the covenant. When Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they went into the Sinai Desert, and they, they wandered there for 40 years, and they were living in tents. And all these 12 tribes had a location, and there was a, a special arrangement on the desert floor where they pitched their tents, and the whole nation assembled there, and so you had all these 12 tribes in in virtually a circle, and in the center of all those tents was the tabernacle. This was the place where the people came for worship and to sacrifice and to honor God. So right at the center of it. In Malachi chapter 3, the question is asked, will a man rob God? And it says, you've robbed me, but you say, how have we robbed you, Lord? And it's in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me, the whole nation of you. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Hear the word storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing you can't contain. And so here are these words that, again, relate to this covenant promise. And God says, bring your tithes, your offerings, into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse, in a biblical sense, is the epicenter of the community of covenant. And in New Testament times, and now for all these years, the local church has been that epicenter of God's activity. This is where the Word of God is preached. This is where covenant relationships are made. This is where outreach takes place. The Scripture gives us an outline of, of what should be happening in the local church. It's a place where uh, care is taken of the minister and the ministry where needs of the body are addressed, the poor and the widows and the sick, and it's the place from which com the community is touched and reached in Jesus' name. So the, the local church then becomes the place of the covenant. Heard the story of a $50 bill and a $1 bill. They ended up in the vault at First Merchants Bank. They got acquainted. They were put into circulation. And by coincidence, one year later, they both ended up back in the vault. Hey! 50, how's it going? Hey, one, I remember you. The $1 says to the $50 bill, he said, how's your, how's your year been? You know, we've been out there. $50 bill said, man, I have had an adventure. This has been so great. He said, I've been to the nicest restaurants, 
the nicest clothing stores. I've been to Pacer games. Colt, I've been to the Colt game twice. He said, it's, it's really been a lot of fun out there. He said, how about you? To the one, $1 bill. He said, well, really, it's been pretty boring for me. You know, go to church, then back home. Go to church, then back home. <laughs> but, but, God, but God said he would open the windows of heaven. He'd open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't contain. That's the promise. That's the covenant. See, God made a covenant with Abraham, giving him the terms of the agreement. I want to put the words again on the screen. This is, this is from Genesis chapter 12, 2 and 3. God said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. You see that? I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Let me tell you something about the blessing. The blessing is the supernatural impartation of the power of God into a human life by the spoken word of God's designated authority. The blessing is actually a word spoken by the authority designated by God that releases the supernatural power and favor, blessing of God into, into a person's life or in a nation's life. So anyone who's been given delegated authority by God. For example, if, if you're a, a husband, father in a family, you have spiritual authority to pronounce a blessing over your family. And brother, listen, you can also pronounce a curse over a family. A father has the authority in his home. He can, he can bless his wife and children or he can curse them with his words. Your, your words have power. Your words can shape your family. Your words can shape your marriage. Your words can shape the destiny of your children. I have a good friend who says it, who says it this strongly. He says that he believes that a child will actually be ultimately defined by the words that their father speak over them. That's, that's significant. That's a big deal. They can shape the destiny of your children. They can shape the destiny of your career, your relationships, your ministry. Words can shape the destiny of a nation. When spoken, the first thing that God did after creating Adam and Eve was bless them. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. And God blessed them. You want to say that with me. And God blessed them. The word of God spoken over the first human beings. And God blessed them. It's awesome. He gave them three commands. He said, number one, be fruitful and multiply, meaning have children, you know, not pets. Have children. Then number two, subdue, which was authority over the world, the flesh, the devil. Subdue the earth. Number three, take dominion. That's what he said. He, in other words, steward your life and steward the created order as God's stewards. And those were the, the mandates that God gave Adam and Eve. Then God blessed Abraham. We find this in Genesis 12. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Have you ever wondered why Jewish people have been so prosperous historically? Have you ever wondered about that? One of the reasons for this is because for centuries, parents, Jewish parents have pronounced blessing over their children. When you think about Jews in American culture, what first comes to mind? You say, yes, wise, even shrewd in business, prosperous, successful, influential in media, politics, etc. Do you know what the percentage of those in the prison population of America, in America that are of Jewish descent? Less than 1%. It's curious, isn't it? Jacob blessed his 12 sons while on his deathbed. 
You can read that blessing in Genesis chapter 49, and every single thing that Jacob spoke over his 12 sons on his deathbed, every single thing came to pass. Something to this. Something to this. Malachi chapter 3, God promises, I will rebuke the devourer for you. What that means is that when the God-given authority speaks a blessing over your life, nothing can stop that blessing from happening. The devil himself can't stop it. I'll rebuke the devourer if you'll keep the covenant with me. Jesus began his public ministry with a, with a sermon which has been described as the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, which is nothing but a string of blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Can you hear that? Galatians 3.14, Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. It's an awesome promise, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? It's awesome that the blessing, the covenant made, the blessing covenant made to Abraham can now come to the Gentiles. That's us through faith in Jesus Christ. Wonderful. That is wonderful. Ezekiel 46, 9, God told Israel, when you come to worship, come in one gate, but always go out through a different gate. What did he mean by that? It's because when they came to church, they were never to leave the same way they came. And the word to us today is you might come in here confused or depressed or sick or struggling, but God wants you to leave by another way, encouraged and full of hope and health and your relationships, and your business, and your ministry, and your finances, given an infusion of God's blessing. Come in one way, but you leave another way. Come in in a dark place, and leave in the light. Come in without confident trust, and God, leave with a confident hope that he is with you, and he will sustain you all the way to the end. This is the promise that God made to Abraham, and it's the one that is now conferred to us. Here's the last thought I want to give you. And that is the prosperity of the covenant. The prosperity of the covenant. God gave Solomon a blank check. Maybe you remember this. God said to Solomon, I'll give you anything you ask. Ask anything you want, I'll give it to you. Solomon said, give me a heart of wisdom. Give me a heart of wisdom so I can lead the people with integrity, with honor. And God said to Solomon, because you didn't ask for me power, riches, or wealth, he said, I'm going to give you more money than you could spend. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. See, God was ready to give it to him, but he wanted to make sure that Solomon had the right focus. God was not against wealth. He was just making sure of the motive in Solomon's heart. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine, according to the power of God that works within us. That's God's plan for us. Your capacity then will determine your level of blessing. The question is never, does God want to give me increase? The question is, can he trust me with what he gives me. If God has given you wealth, it's to be enjoyed. Enjoy it. If you've been blessed and you're prosperous, enjoy it by all means. Just don't forget the kingdom. Don't forget the covenant. Don't forget God. Mm -hmm. If I could take us all to the biggest junkyard in Indiana today, here's what we'd find. We'd find old rotting cars rusting and dissolving back into the earth. We could walk up on, a, on an old junk car, which at one point was the apple of someone's eye. It was somebody's baby. 
saved maybe for a long time to purchase that car. It's the one they always wanted. But now it's been discarded to rotting away. You'd see toys scattered across the dump yard. You know, little trucks and little dolls, disfigured dolls. At one point in that, that item's existence, uh, that little girl wanted that, that baby doll so bad and was so thankful and excited when she received it on Christmas morning. But now it's been discarded, just laying in the junk pile. You'd see tools there and appliances there, things that people use to make a living and improve their lives, something that was very meaningful to them at one point, but now it's just there in the, in the dump, lying around like scrap. That's all it is. It's amazing, isn't it, that so many of us pursue things that have no eternal value whatsoever and that our focus is on that. And all the while, the world waits to hear the most wonderful message of hope and covenant blessing that God provides to us through Jesus Christ. And so it's an important moment for us to search our heart and to recheck our motives and our attitudes and what's really of value to us and to ask the question, God, am I a person you can trust? knowing full well that if you can get it through me, you'll give it to me. And so, God, I want to posture myself with a pure heart, a keen sense of your purpose for my life, open-hearted and open-handed, so that as the blessing flow, the resources that you give me and time and talent and treasure might flow through me to be a blessing to others. Because, friends, we are blessed to be a blessing. Did you get it? I hope you got it. Here's what I want to do. I want to you know, I'm the designated spiritual authority in this place. I, I could curse you today. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? But instead, I choose to bless you. And remember, if I bless you, it's irrevocable. Nothing can stop it. I pronounce it, and the supernatural power of God comes to your life. The devil himself can't stop it because the blessing is conferred by the authority of delegated spiritually. That's me to you. And if you'll be willing to receive it, I want to pronounce it on you today, that 2014 will be a great year filled with favor and blessing purpose. And if you'd like to receive that blessing, would you just stand with me? My friends, as God's appointed leader in this place, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you will receive the blessing of covenant relationship first conferred to Abraham but now delivered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We are the people of God. We are the people of covenant. And we are the ones called now to this place together. And so I confer the blessing of God on you. And I pray to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even think according to the power that works within us. Be blessed, I pray. Receive the favor of God. Receive the touch of God. You came in one way, but leave another way. If you came in in a dark place, leave with the light fully illuminating your life. Receive the blessing and prosperity of God in your relationships, in your work, in your associations, in your finances, in all the affairs of your life. 
in your going in and your coming out, you're lying down and you're rising up, in all details of your life, I pray that you would be blessed, that 2014 would be a year of favor and prosperity and wholeness and healing and blessing in your life. Receive the touch of God. Remember, Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And if you're a person in the room today and you don't know Jesus, then this blessing just awaits you, awaits that simple step to say, Lord, I need your help in my life. I, I need your grace, your forgiveness, your cleansing work. And I want to posture myself so that I might receive the same blessing, the blessing of covenant once given to Abraham, but now offered to the people of God through Jesus Christ. Just say yes to him and he'll meet you at the point of your need. So friends, in the name of Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who began a good work in us and is faithful to complete it, be blessed. In his name we pray, amen.